Gail did a phenomenal job last week. Thank you, Gail, for filling in for us in Genesis chapter 12 to recap a little bit about what happened, just sort of to catch us up to speed about where Abram is. If you remember and are reminded that there are three sons of uh, Noah, Shem, are you ready for the second one? Ham, you got to say it real country, Ham and Japheth. So you've got Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, Shem had a son named Terah. And Terah had a son named Abram. And Abram is cherry-picked out of the descendants of Noah to be called specifically by God to separate himself from his family. And in that call to separate from his family, God then commissions him with this beautiful covenant of what he's going to do through this separation. He is going to make Abram the father of a huge nation. The descendants of Abram are going to be so numerous that we're going to read as we read just a moment ago, more numerous than the dust particles on the earth. Now that's not to be taken literal, that's figurative, it's a metaphor indicating that what's going on here is that his descendants are going to be so numerous that they're not going to be able to be counted. And God is going to raise out of Abram, who is to become eventually Abraham, this incredible nation of Israel. Not only that, but God in this covenant relationship gives him a promise that he is going to provide for every one of his needs in order for God to fulfill then that promise. As soon as God enters into this covenant relationship with Abram, there's a famine in the land. And you recall from last week, he scurries down to Egypt because he's heard that down in Egypt, there are provisions that his family can benefit from. Rather than trusting God, he turns his back on his faith and his trust and reliance upon the power and the provision and the promise of God and heads down to Egypt. He takes matters into his own hands to protect his family. While there, as soon as he arrives because his wife is so gorgeous that he lies in saying that this wife of his is actually his sister. And word gets back to Pharaoh about this gorgeous sister that Abram has, and eventually she is summoned into the house of Pharaoh. But that doesn't last very long because Pharaoh is given a dream by the Lord and, and, and pursued by the Lord, and he finally realizes and recognizes, wait a minute, I've been lied to. This is Abram's wife, not his daughter, and a sister, I mean. And so he returns her back to Abram, and Abram, with his family, is then ousted out of Egypt. They are kicked out of Egypt and told they cannot reside there anymore. That's where we are in Genesis chapter 13. Abram kicked out of Egypt. Now, Abram has made a serious miscalculation. He's not placed his faith and trust in Jehovah God. He has made a critical maneuver that has placed him and his family in serious jeopardy in the provisions and in the promises of God. He's in Egypt where he should have never been from the get-go. 
And we're going to learn this morning that there are times in our lives where we, like Abram, become more self-sufficient than God-sufficient, take matters into our own hands, and make decisions by which we think is best for our family, when rather we should rely upon, trust in, and have faith in God. All of us have done that from time to time. I mean, you would have thought that after the call and the covenant relationship that Abram received from God, that everything would have been hunky-dory after that. It would have been, you know, the promised land. Everything should have been great. But it didn't go quite that way because there was a famine in the land. There was temptation for Abram then to not put his faith and trust in God. There was a trial that took place upon his own family. And based upon the temptation, the trial, and the tribulation that hit his family because of a famine in the land, something he could not control, rather than place his faith and trust in God, God, he placed his faith and trust in himself, in his own provisions, rather than God's provisions. And he made a tactical mistake. He moved his family outside and away from the will of God. And there were consequences that resulted because of that. We've all done that. Most of us in here, more than likely, would call ourselves Christ followers. We, like Abram, have received a call from God He called us by name to place our faith and trust in him. We did that. We committed our hearts and our lives to him. We received, based upon that call, a covenant relationship with the Father, where through a covenant relationship with him, we have promises of provisions, of protection, a plan for our lives, and we are then in the pursuit of following hard after God. But in that pursuit, when everything should be hunky-dory and there should be nothing but but blessings and promises, there are trials and tribulations and tests that knock on the, the door of our hearts and tempt us in our trust and faith with God. And in those testings and those trials and those tribulations, we doubt the provisions and the power and the protection and the plan of God. And we sometimes choose to take matters into our own hands and we then distance ourselves from God and strategically place ourselves and our family in jeopardy. And the ultimate result are consequences because of our defiance, our rebellion, and our distance from God. I mean, there are many families in our church, I believe, who have made such critical tactical errors because we have thousands of members that are not presently here this morning, and I ask you, where are they? Well, the reason they're not here is because they're distant from God. And possibly you're here this morning and you are distant from God because of some tactical mistake and a trial and a test, a tribulation or a temptation. You have settled in your own provisions. You have not trusted in the provisions and the power and the protection of God and you have distanced yourself from God because it's possible for us to sit in a place like this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and yet still spiritually be distant from God. The matter of fact is that most of us as Christ followers from day to day, from time to time, sometimes moment by moment, make tactical errors. And we, in the midst of trials and testings and temptations, also, like Abram, make bad choices. And as a result of that, we then become distant from God. So how then do we restore myself and my family back to the ways of God. We've heard of the prodigal son, but have you heard of the prodigal Abram or Abraham? For this is his journey. This is his story of faith. And even though he is a, a described in the Bible as a man of great faith, there are times in which he has little faith and he almost seems 
faithless. And so it's easy for us to relate to this giant of the faith because even though he is described as a man of great faith, there are times when he tactically, critically makes huge mistakes and doesn't put his faith and trust in God when he should. Aren't you like that? So how do we restore my family back to the ways of God? Let's look at the story of Abraham and Abram and see how he did that. How did Abram return to the ways of God? Number one, he returned to God. He simply returned to God. The Bible says in verse 1, chapter 13 of the book of Genesis, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Into the Negev. Now notice in his return, he's returning back to the Lord. He's headed back to the place that he originally was when he was tempted to put his reliance in his own provisions. He was in Canaan. He was in the promised land, been called, separated by God from his family, placed in a wonderful place of promise and provision from God in Canaan, famine came, and he went to Egypt. And now he's being kicked out of Egypt. Isn't it great to know that when we stray from God, that he's going to continue to pursue us. You know, we may think that we can run from God, but no matter how far you run, you're never going to be out in a place where he can't bring you back. And he's going to, if he loves you, he's going to discipline you. He's going to bring circumstances and situations in your life that are going to draw you back into a relationship with him. And here we have this Man of faith, now once again separating himself from the world called Egypt. Egypt is a world. It's a world that doesn't acknowledge God. It doesn't rely upon God. It doesn't put his faith in God. And Abram is down there relying upon a godless society to provide for him what he believes God could not provide in the midst of a famine. And so God now is teaching him, don't rely upon the world. Don't rely upon your Egypt, but rely upon me. And he slams the door in his face so that no longer he can find security and comfort in the provisions of Egypt or provisions of the world. And now he is forced literally by the hand of God to rely once again on God and God alone. And he separates himself from Egypt and he sets on a course back to where God originally had designed for him to stay the whole time. Do you think God could have provided for him in the midst of this famine in Canaan where God had called him? Absolutely. And yet we find here that he's returning back to God. You know, if we're ever going to be restored back into a right relationship with God, we must return to God and repent of our sin, turn our back on the world, and move toward God. You cannot continue living where you are in the world separated from God, relying upon your own provisions, failing to trust him, and Go with God. You can't do that. You've got to turn your back on the world and go with God. What is your Egypt today that is preventing you from putting your faith, your trust, your confidence in God? What is it that you're holding on that is causing you to put confidence in your own self-reliance rather than God-reliance? We all have, I think, small things into our lives that constantly draw us away from God, and we must turn our back on those things and start moving toward God and return to God. For if we never turn to God, we can never be restored back into a right relationship with God. And that's 
what he's doing here. He's being forced by God to turn his back on the world that he put his trust in and to once again return to God and put his trust in God. It starts with our returning back to God, with turning our backs on the world, our own self-reliance, and moving toward God. You know, unless a person begins there, they'll never be restored back into to the ways of God. But once he returned to God, notice that he also realized the grace of God. There was a, a, a realization here, if you see in verse 2, that he realized God's grace. And this is an interesting thing here. I want us to, to note this very quickly here. It says, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Why is this little verse tucked away in verse thirteen, uh, chapter 13, verse 2? Why is it here? Because I believe that when Abram began to accumulate and get ready for his, you know, to gather all of his stuff up, when he began to pack and, and to move back to where he should have never left, he was aware of the grace of God because he is now going back home with more than he brought to Egypt. Have you ever done that? You ever gone on vacation and started packing your stuff up and then said, so where did I put all this stuff? And Maybe you bought some souvenirs or some things and you're going to find out what, what I'm, I'm taking more back home than I brought. And you're having a hard time finding places to put all the stuff that you've accumulated on vacation. Like sand. He's taking back more than what he brought. He's sort of doing an inventory, I think. And in this inventory, I think he's recognizing and realizing the grace of God because God has been gracious to him in spite of his rebellion, in spite of his sin, in spite of him turning his back on God. God has been gracious to him because he has more livestock, he has more, uh, he has more goats, he has more lambs, he has more sheep, he has more cows, he has more flocks than he had. Not only that, but he's got silver and gold. He's got more going back than what he started with. How could, be, how could that be possible? Why would God bless him in spite of his disobedience? God does that sometimes. You know, there's some people that think like Abram, you know, I can, I can rebel and I can resist and I can live over here in, in, in my self-reliance and my sin and, and depend on myself. And, and look, I'm being blessed financially, so therefore God must be okay with my rebellion. That, that, that's nothing further from the truth. Even in spite of rebellion, it's called common grace, sometimes God still blesses you and may bless you financially even though you've turned your back on God and you rebelled against him. It is possible to rob God of the tithe and God still financially bless you. It is possible for you to live in sin and not at the moment being suff uh, suffering from the consequences of that sin. But we're going to learn later that this, this blessing, the, these, these herds and these flocks are eventually become a burden for Abram. When he has to deal with Lot, when he goes back to Canaan, there's not enough uh, grass to feed the herds and the flocks that they've accumulated in Egypt now. And it's going to become a burden, and it's going to bring a division in his family. And for a moment, it seems as if this is a blessing, but eventually it's going to be a burden. It's, it's, it's going to be, be difficult for him to deal with this. And so we must always recognize and realize that, that even though you may have turned your back on God, or you may know someone that has turned their back on God, and they seemingly, for the moment, seemingly are prospering financially or in other areas, that's what you call grace, 
unmerited favor from God. But eventually that blessing may become a burden. And so we must be very careful to not take too lightly this, this, this blessing, this, this gracious gift that God has given. In spite of our rebellion, God may still bless you, but there's still time to repent and to return because I'm convinced had this not happened to Abram, maybe those blessings would have been removed and he would have found himself in dire straits. But he recognized God's grace. Do you recognize God's grace? His unmerited favor upon your life? That if he ever dealt with you as you deserve to be dealt with, you wouldn't be breathing your breath that you're breathing right now. He is a merciful and a gracious God. And so we must always recognize that in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, that God is a gracious God. And were it not for his grace, yet should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Do you have to wait for the hammer to hit or for the, the axe to fall or for the blessing to be removed? Do you fall on your knees? And finally returned back to God. Abram recognized God's grace. He returned to God. Thirdly, he recommitted his life to God. Notice in the text in verse 3, Abram never completely forgot God. And God never completely forgot about Abram. But notice in the text in verse 3, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Does it, does it, does it strike you kind of odd that when in the last couple of verses in chapter 12, while Abram was in Egypt, that it never records the fact that Abram built an altar in Egypt? He never built an altar. And yet we find here that as soon as he finds his way back to where he originally should have never left, that's the first thing that he does. He builds an altar for there is a distance that has taken place between him and God. And this distance is described in the one word from Negev as far as Bethel, as far, the word far. He had journeyed far from where God had originally designed him to be. He had traveled far from God. You may travel far from God, but you are never too far from his reach or from his grace. That's the distance. And in that distance, there's a decision to the place where he had originally from the beginning had resurrected an altar, and that is between Bethel and Ai. He went back to the place where he had originally worshiped God. There are two altars that he builds. The first one that he builds after God and him enter into a covenant relationship in chapter 12. And the second altar is an altar that he builds unto the Lord when he receives the blessing that God has given him in Canaan. When he receives or enters into the promised land, he built an altar. And this is where Abram returns to when he's returning back to God, back to that second, that original altar that he built in Cana to worship God. Back to the place of worship. And in this decision to play, notice in verse 4, the place where he had made an altar at first. 
It's, it's the first offering. It's where he made an offering at first before the fall. And notice it says in the end of verse four, that last sentence, and there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord. He called. There is a profession with his voice, with his lips. He is proclaiming true, authentic, pure worship. Not sure what kind of offering that he offered. We're not told. But do you think it was a sin sacrifice? I would imagine that was a part of the worship. To have offered a sin sacrifice because of his, his sin against God and seeking the redemption of God and upon receiving the redemption and the restoration of that relationship with God because of his distance that resulted because of his sin, now he's been reconciled with the Father and now he is recommitting now to professing and to calling upon the name of the Lord. And, and this, this proclamation is not only something that happens between him and God, but it's something that his family also participates in, but it's also something I think that the community also around him sees that Abram who left is now returning and he's proclaiming his worship, his commitment, his, his, his desire to follow and to proclaim the name of the Lord. And he recommits himself to God. So you see, he's returned to God. He's realized that were it not for God's grace, he would not be who he is, where he is with what he has. And so he recommits his self to God. He recommits his all to Jehovah. And fourthly, he then removes the hindrance. Once he's gotten right with God, there's a hindrance. There's, there's something there that's sort of a thorn in his side, and, and his name is Lot. You know, we're going to look at Lot next week, and Lot is an interesting character. Uh, Lot is, is not a really a bad Lot. He's not really a bad guy. He is a man of faith, but he's, he's a man who's still struggling his faith, and he's going to make some bad choices and going to result in some bad consequences for his family as well. But but Lot's dad has died, and Lot really has no family relations, and Abram sort of takes him under his wing, and, and, and Lot's been traveling now with Abram, not only in Canaan, but all the way down to Egypt, now all the way back, and he's more than likely participated in the worship that Abram has offered to God in this family worship. But in the course of settling now in Canaan, they have more flocks, and they have more herds than they had before, and there's not enough to support both in the same area. And because of that, there's a conflict described in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, there, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. The conflict is there's not enough to support the herds that are there. They can't protect what they've accumulated. They, they can't provide for what they have. And so the herdsmen are, 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 are bickering over the best places to put the herds and the, and the flocks. And because of this conflict, then notice in, in the next verse what he counsels Lot. Is not the whole land before you? He's saying to Lot, he's giving him counsel. I want you to take a, take a look at everything that's here. I want you to examine. I want you to survey the land. Just take a big look here at all that you see and notice the command, separate yourself from me. That's not a suggestion. That is a command. That's pretty much the same command that God gave Abram from his family. And now it's one that Abram gives Lot. He said, separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. If you go over here, then I'll go over here. And if you go over here, I'll go over here. It's a command. We're going to have to separate. 
Now, Lot is a hindrance because Lot is keeping Abram from following God. Abram, let me, let me put it this way. Lot didn't receive the covenant with God that, that Abram received. He wasn't called to be separated in the same way that Abram was called to be separated. So he didn't have the call and he didn't have the covenant. He had faith, but not the call and the covenant that Abram had. And so in essence, I see Lot as a hindrance to the individual pursuit of Abram in following God. Lot's not a bad guy, but Lot's a hindrance. You see, I think sometimes we think that then in our pursuit of God, there are some things that are hindrances that we would call really, really evil or wicked or sinful or disgusting or, or waste that, you know, things that are real harmful. But I think there are some things in our lives and some people in our lives that those people may be people of faith. They may be good people, but they're still hindrances. They may even be people of faith. But if they're keeping us from following God, then we need to remove those hindrances because they will hurt us in our individual call and covenant in following God. And that's, I think, what Lot is to Abram. He's not a bad guy, but he's a hindrance. Because in verse 14, it said, the Lord then said to Abram, after, notice that after Lot had separated from him. So there was a separation. So I ask you, in your pursuit of God, what is the hindrance that is in your life today that is holding you back from following the ways of God? It, it may be a person. And this person like Lot may be even a person of faith. It may be a boyfriend. It may be a girlfriend. It may be a best friend. It may be some influence from some, sometimes parents, believe it or not, are hindrances to their children pursuing God. And we need to be really careful then in our pursuit of following the ways of God that we remove all of the hindrances that are there so that we might in that pursuit then restore our families back into the ways of God. For once he then removed the hindrance, he reached for guidance. He reached for guidance. That's number five. Verse 14 says, The Lord then said to Abram, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. Notice he says, Lift up your head. Why do you think he encouraged Abram to lift up his head? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt distraught? You know, he says, Hey, Lot, I want you to survey, examine out there, and I want you to pick. You go that way, I'll go this way. You go that way, I'll go this way. And Lot picks the best piece of property in the land. It's the most fertile, it's the best looking, it's the prettiest, it's got the most grass, it's got the most promise. And after having selected that, I can imagine Abram going, going, It's a dumb thing to do. I would have picked that. <laughs> he got the best piece of property with the most promise, supporting his flocks and his herds. That's, that's really what I should have gotten. That was my promise, and yet he chose that. Dummy, why did you say, if you go over here, I'll go over here, and if you go over here, I'll go over here? I should have never let him do that. I said, I'm going here, and you go over there. 
And he was looking down, and I think he was distraught and discouraged. And God says, pick up your head, man. Has God ever had to say that to you? Hey, look up. Things may seem bleak. You may be disappointed. You may be discouraged. You may be distraught. You may seem defeated, but you need to lift up your head and not only lift up your head, but then he says, look from the place from where you are. Look beyond your present position. Lift up your head and look at all that I'm about to provide for you. See the promises out there. See the plan that I have for you. It's all here. Lift up your head, man, and look to me at all the promises that I have and the purpose that I have and all that. Don't be distraught, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, but look from your present position and see the promise. And then notice verse 13, he says, I want you to lean on me. Where does he say that? Verse 18, for all the land that you see, what does God say? I will give to you. All the land that you see, who's going to give it to him? God is. I will give it to you. And to your offspring, for how long? Forever. Not only will I give it to you, verse 15, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could, can count the dust on the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Not only will I give it to you, but I will make your offspring as numerous as the dust particles on the earth. I will give you and I will make it happen. Abram had no children at this point. And he's 75 plus years old. 75. That's a lot older than 60. 75 plus years old. No children. And God says to him, I'm about to make your descendants more numerous than the dust particles on the face of the earth. And Abram dared to believe him. And he never saw the promise, by the way, being fulfilled. But he always trusted God would make it happen. But notice verse 17. Don't overlook that. Notice that he's supposed to live by faith. He says, arise. Arise. This is not just a physical thing. This is a a spiritual thing. Arise from the position that you are presently in and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. Step by step, he is supposed to move toward the promise of God. You know, you can't just rely upon God's promise, God's provision, God's purpose and just sit back and do absolutely nothing. You can't. How how many of you would love to see this auditorium filled, every seat to capacity in this auditorium? How many of you would like to see that happen? Come on, how many of you? Raise your hand up. How's that going to happen? We're going to trust God. We're just going to put our faith in God, and God's going to do it. How's God going to do it? How? Through us. You can have all the faith in the world, all the trust in the world, but if you don't get up from where you are and join God and what God wants to do through you, it ain't going to happen. 
God has a plan. God has a promise. God has a purpose that he wants to fulfill through you. And it's step by step, moment by moment, decision by decision for us to get up and to join God. If we don't rise up from our position and step by step move toward the promise that God has for your life and my life individually, because God has one, you'll never see God's purpose fulfilled. There's a responsibility that we have. Faith is an action. Faith is a verb. It's not just something we feel or think, but it's something we do. And we must proactively move toward the promise that God has for us, step by step, believing as we're moving toward that, that God is going to eventually accomplish his will through us and through our obedience. He says, Abram, you've got to rise up and start moving, man. And as you by faith start moving, I will part the waters, I will remove the obstacles, and I will provide the blessing. Just trust me, but move toward the promise, the purpose, and the plan that I have for your life. And he got up. How do you know that? Verse 18. So Abraham, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He renewed his praise. Notice the walk, the work, and the worship. He walked toward the promise and the provision of God. He moved toward it. He called you by name, didn't he? He, he showed you your sin, but unless you turn from your sin and move toward him by faith, you were not saved. Abram stood and moved toward the call and the covenant of God, and God, as he walked, he worked. It was work picking up all that stuff. It was work. It was work building an altar. Hard work. But once he did the work, he also did the worship. He offered God praise. He called him Lord. So as we close, let's take a quick look at what we can learn from Abram. God invites us, number one, to return to God. Do you need to return to God today? Physically, you may be here, but are you where you need to be spiritually? Really? Really? Are you where you need to be spiritually? Or do you need to, to rise up from where you are and to turn your back on, on your Egypt or turn, turn your back on your world or turn, turn your back on your own self-confidence and your own self-provision and turn to God and God alone who can provide for you what you desperately need? Do you need to return to God today? Do you need to recognize God's grace? It's only by God's grace that you're not dead right now. It's only by God's grace that you're alive. For his unmerited favor has being, is being extended to you at this very moment to give you life, to give you breath, to give you all that you enjoy and all that you know in this life. And it's by grace through faith that we are saved in that it is not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God. And because of God's grace, he gave us the wonderful gift of his son named Jesus so that through faith in him, we might receive redemption and reconciliation and enjoy a right relationship with God. 
Grace is available through Jesus. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in recognizing that grace, we then must commit our all. Committing our all, putting it all on the altar, saying, Lord, here I am. Here's everything I have. It's all yours. I trust in you. I give you my life. I give you my all. Once you do that, there's a disrobing of hindrances. Things that are in your life that are weighing you down and preventing you from going on with God. Casting aside all of the weight, all of the distractions, all of the hindrances. Some are sin. And some are not so clear because there may be people in relationships that claim to have faith in God, yet they're holding you back from following God. But to remove all hindrances, all weights, all distractions, and to rely upon God and his guidance, to wait on God. You know, Abram, when he, when he went down to Egypt, he didn't wait on God. He just took the bull by the horns, grabbed the steering wheel, and made something happen. But the second time, he learned his lesson. He, he was willing to wait on God. And God spoke to him. And after God spoke, then he responded and he obeyed. So the question is, when God speaks to you today, what will be your response? This morning, again, we get the awesome opportunity to celebrate uh, God's work in a young person's life as Kira comes this morning to give her testimony that she's accepted Jesus as her Savior and her boss. Is that right, Kira? Yes. And I know that she has some family, some life group friends, some teachers that are here today to help her celebrate. So if you're part of Kiara's family or life group or one of her friends to come to celebrate with her this morning, would you stand? Kiara, because you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your personal Savior and boss, it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> 